Hi, my name's Paul Jay, and welcome to the Analysis.News podcast. Michael Hudson is a distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and also a professor at Peking University in Beijing. He's written or edited over 10 books on international finance, economic history, and the history of economic thought. His newest book is J is for Junk Economics, and most recently, And Forgive Them Their Debts, which Martin Wolf of the Financial Times cited as a book of the year for 2018. Thank you for joining us, Michael. It's good to be here, Paul. So with so much bad news in the world, and when the stock market crashed in late February, why didn't it stay crashed two months after the crash to 14-month lows, at a certain point, almost historic lows? The NASDAQ composite is closing in now on all-time highs. Why? There's only one reason for stock or, or bond prices uh, to go up, and uh, that's because of the flow of funds into the stock market. What had been supporting the stock market for the last 12 years uh, was very largely stock buybacks uh, by companies using their revenue to sort of close down their business, disinvest, and uh, buy their own stocks to at least uh, keep uh, the prices up. Well, what's flowing into the market right now? Obviously, it's not corporate profits uh, buying their own stocks, uh, and it's certainly not uh, popular money coming into the market by small investors thinking that uh, stocks are going to earn more. All this money is coming into the market from the $10 trillion uh, bailout uh, via the, the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is going out directly and is buying stocks, bonds, junk bonds, mortgages, junk mortgages, all to prop up the value of assets. Now, when it's putting this money into the stock market, it's buying stocks that are already issued and have long since uh, the proceeds have been spent on building factories or uh, enterprises or means of making money. So none of this uh, bailout money, none of this 10 trillion uh, going into the stock market has uh, any effect at all on the real economy of production and consumption. It's solely to support the assets that are held almost 85% by the wealthiest 10% of the economy. So the Fed has uh, revived uh, the stock market downturn. It's come up and what it said is, uh, folks, you can bail out of the stock market. Uh, give us your junk bonds, uh, sort of like the Statue of Liberty for uh, wealthy people. Give us uh, your stocks, sell your bonds, we'll buy them all all up at Federal Reserve expense and uh, uh, we'll uh, purchase them and we'll also do our own forward buying to manipulate the stock market uh, by uh, promising to buy a stock to the higher price in the forward market. So that's going to uh, create a speculative demand for stock. So the speculative demand for stocks by Federal Reserve manipulation and the actual flow of funding money into the stock market from the government uh, has been uh, pushing it back up, uh, giving the illusion of prosperity, at least uh, for the 10%. But, but are they actually straightforwardly buying stocks or they're buying corporate debt, which allows them to go buy their own stocks and also just making so much money so cheap people can buy stock? 
But is the Fed actually straightforwardly buying stocks? Yep, that's what it said it's been doing, or it's, it's buying uh, packages, it's buying, uh, we don't know exactly what it's buying because it doesn't have to report. That's why the Treasury uh, left uh, the Fed to do uh, something that uh, doesn't have to be uh, followed carefully. It took uh, Randy Ray at the at Bard College's uh, Levy Institute uh, about a year just to untangle what the Fed had done uh, after uh, 2008 and 2009 uh, with the big Obama bailout uh, of quantitative easing. Uh, so we're not going to know for later uh, what's been happening, but certainly corporations are not buying their own stocks now because that would uh, uh, may, uh, that that would be a political disaster, and uh, they just wouldn't get more bailout money. So the money's coming may, uh, almost entirely from speculators or from the Fed promising to buy uh, what speculators buy at a higher price later on. So it's, it's manipulating uh, the foreign exchange market, just like the LIBOR uh, market was manipulated. Almost all the financial markets these days are manipulated uh, by high finance in cahoots with the central bank. Uh, and if you don't have uh, that central bank backing, then there's not going to be the flow of funds going into the market. And certainly small investors are not buying. Regular investors uh, have already been uh, uh, getting out of the stock market for uh, quite a few years now. It's only for uh, professionals. Uh, often for computer trading gets, uh, uh, it gets into the act. Uh, it's... Uh, it, it's an insider's game uh, that is basically fueled by the central bank. So you wrote in an article called The Coming Financial Horror uh, that the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell is essentially promoting a fantasy that there's going to be a relatively quick recovery, although recently he was saying it's not going to be quite so quick as people thought. Um, but is, is this stimulus uh, program they have, whether it's propping up the stock market or buying corporate debt or funneling money directly to corporations, um, is it going to have any effect that's longer term than, than what seems to be? Because one can see that if they try to get the economy going again, and they haven't done more on the side of consumer demand, um, who the heck's going to buy stuff to get the economy going again? Well, now you've all of a sudden changed uh, the topic to the economy. Obviously, the stock market isn't uh, the economy. Uh, the, uh, the real fiction in what uh, the Federal uh, Powell was saying was that somehow uh, uh, a recovery in the stock market means a recovery in the economy. And all it means is that uh, the wealthy investors are uh, uh, bailing out of the market and uh, moving into their gated communities and uh, essentially they're pulling out. Uh, the whole stock buyback uh, uh, program of the last 10 years has been disinvesting. All of the insiders and the big investors know that the game is over. That's why there's so much talk of uh, uh, moving to New Zealand. But uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, has all of a sudden provided uh, a wonderful opportunity uh, for the 10%. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, enabled them to have an excuse for a huge bailout uh, and an excuse to uh, essentially make, uh, enable them to get out of stocks, get out of bonds, and uh, avoid uh, the, the crisis uh, that's coming, leaving the Federal Reserve and uh, uh, suckers, as they would say, uh, holding the bag when the economy collapses. Obviously, there's going to be a collapse, and there was going to be a collapse 
even before the coronavirus. Uh, everybody was talking uh, about uh, the decline in oil prices, which is not only going to hit uh, the fracking companies and the oil companies with the low uh, oil prices, but it's also leading to very large defaults by third world countries. Uh, uh, raw materials prices are going down. So there are going to be a lot of third world debt defaults. There are going to be a lot of breaks uh, in the chain of payments. Uh, uh, but what the coronavirus did was somehow give an excuse for the government to create all of this money, saying it was uh, going to be for small business. Well, obviously, it has not been for small business. And, you know, just think what the Fed could have done with this $10 trillion. It could have put money, uh, revived the economy by putting the money into building uh, means of production. Uh, mainly in this case, what's needed is infrastructure, rebuilding things like the New York City subway so people can get to work without there being so crowded that you're uh, probably going to catch a new uh, uh, virus uh, when the regular service begins again. Uh, they, they could have begun uh, rebuilding the economy, uh, but none of, uh, none of this money has gone into the real economy at all. So uh, the economy's been left uh, holding the bag, but at least uh, uh, the Fed has used uh, this money. They notice that they don't call it taxpayer money for the, uh, for the bailout. Taxpayer money, they only use that phrase when it's for real production or for, uh, to support employment uh, or uh, social spending. But when it's to uh, the same uh, money is created by the same process, to support uh, the stock and bond market, uh, that's uh, never called taxpayer money, but it's all the same thing. So you see that uh, all of the lobbyists have sort of been waiting with a wish list of what they would like the government to do uh, to take all of the uh, 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 the bad loans off the hands. And the, the thing to realize is that one percent. Uh, 10% realizes that the game's over and uh, they're trying to disinvest. Hey, what do you mean when you say the game is over? What do you the, mean the game's over? The idea that the debts can be paid, the idea that somehow you can put money aside and uh, the money will grow for you. By, uh, it'll lead, uh, give you interest. Uh, the money will uh, somehow uh, be pushed into the stock market by buybacks without much income and push up stock prices. The idea that you can put in a million dollars and uh, have the money go up uh, through stocks or bonds or real estate without having the economy grow at all. That was a game because it's not realistic. Um, and it was a decoupling of the financial and real estate markets uh, from the economy. And that whole decoupling, now, finally, you can only decouple so far before the fact that uh, the rents are not being paid, the taxes are not being paid, uh, the states and localities are having a huge tax shortfall that is forcing them to cut back services, uh, and uh, the commercial real estate. Um, half, uh, half of the uh, Empire State Building's tenants have not paid their uh, rents for uh, uh, March and April. Uh, about maybe 40% of tenants uh, uh, generally in uh, New York City for uh, commercial uh, buildings, uh, restaurants, uh, storefronts, uh, 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 they're just not paying. So everybody's expecting a break in the chain of payments. And at a certain point, uh, the government can't uh, simply keep the pretense up when the economy's plunging and the stock markets are going up. People are going to realize, wait a minute, why isn't uh, this uh, uh, money creation being spent to actually revive the real economy? So what happens when 
in theory, this virus comes to an end, although who knows, it could be year, two, three. But even before the end of the virus, these back rents, as you say, are piling up, debt servicing is piling up. At some point, there's going to be mass evictions, as you writ, as you've written, mass evictions, foreclosures, bankruptcies are going to be inevitable. Um, you, you're advocating that these debts should simply be written off. Is that what you're, is that you're proposing? And can you imagine them actually doing that? Well, they're not going to be paid one way or another. That's the important thing. Uh, if, imagine uh, the uh, 25 million uh, unemployed. They're not getting paychecks. Uh, what, how are they getting by? Uh, they're, the only way they can get by is to run up their credit card debt. Uh, and by running it up, uh, they're going to be uh, not uh, paying the monthly uh, usual charge. Uh, they're going to be su subject now to interest rates on the credit card that go up uh, from maybe 20% to 29% uh, or even more. Uh, companies uh, are reported in New York City just to be packing up and moving out of their offices. Uh, they're taking all the assets uh, they can, uh, le leading to the kind of commercial real estate collapse that people were talking about in 2008. So what's happening now is really the end of the whole Obama uh, bailout, the whole depression. It was all, it was never uh, possible to uh, have a recovery of the economy, leaving the debts in place that existed in 2008. And the Federal Reserve's quantitative easing of about 4.6 trillion uh, managed to sustain it uh, to the coronavirus time. And uh, then that's left uh, all of these uh, people who don't have a job, you can just imagine what the situation is. Already about half of Americans uh, uh, have reported that they don't have $400 available uh, if uh, there's uh, an emergency, like a health emergency. And uh, they're uh, reported uh, living paycheck to paycheck. Well, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you don't have a paycheck, you can just imagine what's going to happen. Uh, the homeless problem is going to, going to increase. Normally, there would be uh, state and local spending uh, uh, to somehow revive the economy or make work jobs, but th that's not going to happen because the revenue uh, is all falling. The, uh, in New York uh, and other states, the uh, quarterly, uh, the real estate tax uh, is going to be due in just a few weeks in June. And uh, obviously, a lot of uh, uh, companies think, well, if, uh, we're, we're, if we're not going to be able to collect uh, the rents uh, because our tenants are moving out, uh, we might as well uh, take a risk and not pay the tax now uh, because we may uh, have a, a problem with the banks. The banks are not lending money to the landlords who are strapped, and they're not lending money to the businesses that have been closed down so they can pay the landlords, so the landlords can pay their mortgages to the banks. So right down the line, there's going to be this break in the chain of payments, and uh, uh, nobody can come up with any scenario whereby the debts can be paid. Now, the question then is, how are they not going to be paid? Uh, if they're not going to be paid by large foreclosures, uh, uh, the New York Times today just said that uh, uh, Goldman Sachs is uh, foreclosed on 10,000 uh, homes. Uh, if they're not going to be paid by foreclosures, then the only thing to do is 
to bail out the debtors uh, by uh, wiping out their debts. Or the Federal Reserve could have even created the money to pay the debts to give to the banks and save them. Uh, that's, uh, that's what Obama had promised to do in uh, 2008. Uh, somehow he was going to uh, uh, ena enable the victims of the junk mortgages to uh, uh, pay the banks so while they write down the uh, value of the mortgage to the real value of the property, not the fictitious value. None of that was done. Uh, so the, uh, right now, uh, you, if the debts can't be paid and you have foreclosures, then you're going to have a very sharp concentration of property in the country and also of home ownership. Uh, you, uh, you, you've had home ownership rates drop uh, from about 58% in 2008 to about 51% now. That's more than a 10% uh, drop in the uh, uh, the, uh, the proportion of Americans that own their own homes. You're going to have a concentration of homes and companies that have been buying them up, like Blackstone has been a very major company, buying up foreclosed properties. Uh, Goldman Sachs has uh, bought up foreclosed properties. Uh, you're going to have basically the financial centers buying up uh, uh, real estate and uh, turning the economy into uh, a landlord-ridden uh, economy rather than an economy that is... Uh, uh, of home ownership, uh, which is what uh, made America's middle class uh, wealthy by giving it uh, most of the uh, most of the net worth that it had. And that's going to happen not just in the real estate sector, but every sector. The concentration of ownership, which was already at ridiculous levels, is going to be extraordinary. I mean, small businesses to a large extent are going to be wiped out, and it's going to be a field day for anybody with cash to pick up these. Uh, sectors of the economy at a bargain basement price. Well, that's why, that's why some of the stocks are going up. Walmart stocks are going up. Uh, the, big, the, the big store chains have seen their stocks going, going up more than anyone else's because the smaller stores, uh, uh, Macy's and uh, 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 Sears and uh, the other uh, JCPenney that went bankrupt uh, last week, uh, these, store, these companies, uh, the retail sector, was very largely bought out by uh, predatory uh, ca uh, uh, capital groups, that, uh, private capital groups, that essentially used them uh, to loot them. Uh, the strategy was uh, you'd buy a store. They tried to do this with McDonald's, for instance. The idea was to buy a company. Uh, you immediately uh, break it into uh, two parts. Uh, you have the company sell the real estate to another uh, uh, part of the, uh, another uh, group that you've created. Uh, the group gets the real estate. The store that you've just bought out, instead of owning its property, is, uh, signs a long-term lease uh, to pay a huge amount of rent to uh, this real estate part that you've just uh, uh, created by splitting up the company. Uh, and uh, you've, you've created a value based on the prospective uh, uh, rental, uh, store rental income. Uh, and you pay yourself a management fee, uh, you charge interest, you charge uh, all sorts of other fees. And this is what has driven almost uh, all of these uh, stores, Toys R Us, right down the line, it's driven them all under. Now, uh, you're going to have uh, something like that uh, occurring uh, outside of the retail store industry uh, for other uh, sectors of the economy, as you point out. One sector after another, the, st the companies that are struggling during uh, this three-month uh, uh, abatement are all of a sudden 
not going to be able to come up uh, with the rent in three months. Or uh, suppose you're a restaurant, for example. Restaurants, uh, your biggest expense is going to be the rent of the landlord. But if uh, you haven't done any business for three months and uh, you uh, realize that if you go back uh, to work and the uh, landlord says, okay, you'll just uh, pay it off uh, uh, in a year or two, well, uh, uh, then you realize that, wait a minute, all of the profit, all of the uh, money that paid to management uh, is really just going to go for the landlord. And we're not going to make any money at all uh, left over after we pay the current rent and the back rents to the restaurant. Uh, to the uh, uh, to the landlord, it's best just to walk away, close down, uh, m move somewhere else. So there'll be musical chairs as uh, restaurants uh, uh, close down, uh, stiff their suppliers, uh, stiff anybody they can, and uh, uh, hope that they may or may not uh, start business uh, somewhere else. But it's going to be awfully hard to get bank credit uh, once you've uh, stiffed the landlord and uh, walked away from the, uh, uh, the bank uh, financing. Uh, so uh, there's just not going to be financing for anyone except the very large uh, uh, and richest uh, financial companies. So when one does the sort of projection forward, you know, a few months, a few couple of years, uh, it, does, it gets worse and worse unless there is a massive public social expenditure on infrastructure programs of various types, but at a scale that, that's more than anything even Roosevelt imagined in, during the New Deal. And that leads to, uh, you know, a, a kind of development of a public sector that the right wing of the elites, I shouldn't say the right wing, all the elites essentially, don't want to see that kind of uh, expenditure because it leads to people saying, well, if we're spending all this public money, then why shouldn't the public own this stuff? Well, that's exactly where Wall Street was way ahead of you there. They knew that there would be pressure for just what you're suggesting. The reasonable thing, if you really want to restore pr prosperity, is to uh, develop infrastructure for public spending programs, public transportation, to rebuild the roads and uh, uh, transports that have uh, fallen apart, the parks. And so by giving this $10 trillion, all for the stock and bond market and for real estate mortgages, uh, and by giving it all to the financial sector, now they can say, I'm, we're broke. We don't have any money for social spending. We've already spent it. Look at how big the deficit is. And this is exactly what Mitch McConnell said to the state. States. He said, oh, the states uh, uh, are, have a tax shortfall. Well, let them uh, take the money that's in their pension funds. Let them loot the pension funds. Let them uh, not pay any of the public sector workers uh, that have uh, agreed to get uh, uh, pensions in exchange for decade after decade of slow wage growth, saying, yes, we'd rather have a pension uh, than a slow wage growth. Now that they, now that you've uh, tricked them into the, taking a long-term promise, do what Donald Trump does: break the promise, break the deal, and uh, uh, say, "I'm sorry, you're not going to get anything. We're broke, and uh, we gave all the money to the 10 percent." 
And if you don't like it, vote for the other party. Ha ha. When you have the same donor class behind each party. So uh, basically, there's not going to be any money to spend into the real economy. It's all been spent on the financial sector. What happened was uh, uh, the, the right wingers can now say, we've uh, already spent the money. Look at how large the deficit is. And you've already had Mitch McConnell uh, come out and say, well, the states uh, that are now not getting their tax revenues uh, have a solution. Let them raid their uh, pension funds. Uh, let them uh, break even and pay the bondholders uh, what they owe uh, and uh, the other suppliers uh, by essentially uh, borrowing uh, or emptying out uh, the pensions. So here, what you've had is he wants the states to act like Donald Trump has acted, uh, break the long-term deal. For uh, decades, uh, public service workers have accepted low wage growth in exchange for pensions. They're looking long term. They say, okay, we won't increase our wage demands, but uh, we want the security that when we retire, we're going to get a good pension. That's what made public sector work attractive. But now that the workers have already worked at a low price, and the same thing in the corporate sector, uh, uh, taken low wages for years, now the pensions uh, that they were promised are going to be used uh, instead to pay the bondholders because the states have to make a choice and the states are going to choose uh, the financial sector. To the financial sector, the, the workers and capital and agriculture are just overhead. Uh, all of the real money is supposed to go to the fin financial sector or the fire sector. So uh, all of this money that has been ostensibly saved uh, is really going to be just emptied out and uh, uh, given to the bondholders unless... Okay. The but there's a there's a political calculation here just a few months away from the presidential election. If they don't do something by the time the election comes around, it's already whole sections of the working class that never knew what poverty was are sinking into it. And by the, by the time election comes along, whole sections of the American population are going to be in desperate straits. Uh, and and this is this is this is going to doom the Trump presidency. They're going to have to do something. No, Trump will, well, Trump will try to blame it on the Democrats. He'll say, give me control of Congress uh, so that uh, we can pass a law to get Mac, uh, America back to work and make America great again. He will blame it on uh, the Democrats and say that uh, he didn't cause the coronavirus. Uh, of course, what he did, uh, and he can point out that the uh, $10 trillion bailout was unanimous. Democrats and Republicans. Uh, the Democrats, uh, Nancy Pelosi in Congress, which is in charge of writing uh, the, the CARES, uh, uh, the bailout uh, act, uh, could have said, well, we want to make sure that the states and cities are bailed out so that public services are not cut back and so that the, they don't have to raid the pension funds and, and uh, uh, screw all of the uh, retirees as other Republicans want. But the, re the Democrats agreed with the Republicans uh, to basically uh, throw the workers under the bus, throw the retirees under the bunch, throw the uh, pensioners under the bus and uh, uh, focus on their donor class the financial sector, the bondholders and the stockholders. In Canada and most of Europe, maybe all of Europe, the state subsidies have gone to businesses to continue paying wages, even if people are at home. Many countries are paying up to 80%, subsidizing 80% of workers' wages. So in fact, people aren't suffering in the same way. And then when they want to start the economy again, everyone just goes back to work. And the U.S. didn't, go, didn't do that. 
Neither party did that because no politician in either party advocated that. Nobody is saying that. That is uh, sort of uh, the forbidden thing to say. Uh, and if you try to say it, people will say, well, if you don't like it here, why don't you go and live in Denmark? Uh, that's uh, and so, uh, so uh, Trump will say, well, uh, it's true that the, uh, the virus happened on my, on my watch. I'm the guy who can uh, get rid of it. Uh, wouldn't you rather have me than uh, whoever, whoever uh, uh, the Democrats end up uh, putting up? Uh, he'll say, wouldn't you rather have me trying to, a businessman, trying to put uh, America on the two feet, just like uh, a real estate company would be rescued, uh, instead of uh, uh, living like a socialist uh, in a socialist country? That's, uh, uh, these are the people who wanted to close down the economy even more. I, Trump, I'm the guy who opened up the economy. Uh, my opponents want to close it down. Uh, and uh, a close down is not going to make you uh, recover. I'm the guy who can make you recover. By but, but, the, but the polling is showing almost everywhere that most people think that the economy or the, is being opened up in certain states far too early. And in the states where they're doing it, they're getting spikes in coronavirus. Yep. So I'm not so sure that argument's going to work for Trump. But l let me ask you a, a question. Let's assume I'm right and Trump isn't going to win because I'm betting he's not. Um, but what, let's say Biden does win and the phone rings, which is highly unlikely, but let's say it is for the sake of this uh, mental argument or puzzle here. And they call Michael Hudson and ask, okay, we've been listening to your interviews. And what do you think we should do now that we've become uh, taken over? Let's for the sake of argument say they actually take the White House and both houses of Congress. What should they do? Well, I'll say, well, the, ten, the Federal Reserve uh, has been buying uh, $10 trillion worth of stocks. Let's sell off all these stocks so that it'll have enough money to begin funding state and uh, local uh, public sector investment. Now, selling all the stocks, of course, will crush uh, the stock market. Uh, the good thing about, and, uh, about not bailing out the landlords, about not bailing out uh, the stock market, is uh, the banks that have made big bets, especially on uh, insuring third world debt, are going to go broke. And uh, I would say, now that the, this time, when Citibank, Bank of America and Wells Fargo becomes insolvent, wiping out its net worth as they did in 2008. This time, take them into the public sector, make them public banks. And uh, as uh, public banks, uh, let's not lend for corporate takeover loans. Let's not uh, lend money to corporate raiders uh, to uh, outsource and downsize companies. Let's make, lend for actual for loans that will actually rebuild the economy with tangible means of production, tangible infrastructure, uh, and uh, back uh, the real economy instead. I think Mr. Biden would say, well, how much money did you contribute to my campaign? Oh, I see. Well, thank you very much, sir. I don't think there's any amount of money you could contribute to the Biden <laughs> campaign that would get him to do that program. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. His mindset. Uh, well, let's take it somewhat more incrementally. But certainly there's some banks that could be uh, that will be at in the point of bankruptcy that the federal government could buy. Insolvency. In other words, they, they'll have made bad bets. A lot of banks, uh, 
it's very much like when the Greek uh, uh, bonds uh, were collapsing and uh, Greek, Greece was going to default uh, five years ago uh, under Tsaritsa. Uh, Obama and uh, Tim Geithner went to Europe and told the European banks, well, uh, you know, we know that uh, the biggest bondholders are the German and the French uh, banks, uh, but uh, they're not going to lose a penny because they bought uh, credit default insurance from the American banks. And the American banks, and especially Citibank, are going to go under. And if they go under, uh, we are going to retaliate against you in Europe, and we're going to drive you under. So uh, the, the threat they made then you know, was uh, uh, they forced uh, Europe to essentially uh, tear Greece apart and impose a chronic depression on them. Well, right now uh, you have the same thing. The, the banks have uh, made all sorts of loans and guarantees that cannot be paid without Federal Reserve support. And so the question is, uh, the, the whole financial model of the last 12 years, or you could say the model since 1980, the model of getting rich purely financially without any real economy growing, uh, downsizing the economy, outsourcing its production to China and other Asian countries, uh, uh, getting uh, uh, basically uh, making the GDP and for the bottom 95% of the population going down for the last uh, 12 years, uh, the, the, the financial model of getting uh, rich by purely financial engineering instead of industrial engineering uh, hasn't worked. The idea that uh, the uh, economy can grow and give uh, all of the growth in GDP since 2008 has gone only to the top 5% of the population. For 95% of the population, the economy is already shrinking. Well, if it's already shrinking uh, for 12 years, imagine the uh, plunge that it's going to take now. There's no way that an economy can grow when you're uh, doing to the American population what uh, uh, Europe uh, and US diplomacy did to Greece. Uh, the uh, mass unemployment, uh, lifespans shortened, and the Greek economy is uh, now in utter stagnation while uh, the wealthy Greeks have taken their money and run. They put it in Switzerland. So Greece owed 50 billion euros uh, to uh, banks in Italy and uh, uh, France and Germany, uh, but there was an, a 50 uh, billion euros were already on, uh, according to Christine Lagarde of the IMF, already stashed away in Switzerland by uh, tax avoiders. Now, uh, obviously, uh, in order to, re to revive the economy here, you have to have a different model of growth. And instead of a financial model of growth, you need to do a number of things. You, you stop encouraging debt pyramiding, because uh, the debt pyramiding is what has been uh, shrinking the economy and leading to debt deflation. Uh, you would remove the tax deductibility of interest. That's an obvious thing. You'd remove all of the special tax advantages that uh, the real estate and the financial sector and the financial sector get, like uh, a pretended depreciation uh, on buildings again and again and again. Uh, Donald Trump says that he loves depreciation and that's why he's never had to pay income tax. Uh, insurance companies are not paying right now. The insurance companies are all simply uh, refusing to pay uh, the restaurants and the other economies for interruption of business because they said, well, we listed interruption of business for a number of causes, but uh, you didn't put the coronavirus on, you'll have to sue us. Well, uh, by uh, 
suing, when you sue an insurance company, they get to take the entire claim off their book as if it's a current payment. And uh, if uh, it takes five years to get your case into court to collect on the insurance, and it costs about $50,000 in legal fees. I've gone through this. And uh, then at the end of five years, the insurance company figure they will have made back enough money just by speculation so that uh, they don't have to spend uh, an extra penny uh, to repay. It's all, it's all free uh, tax uh, write-off money. So uh, in order to re re restore this financialized growth, you have to change the tax code and all of the gimmicks that have made financial speculation more profitable than direct investment in actually producing goods and services. Okay, let's, let's, let's assume that this, none of this gets done or not much of it gets done. What happens in China now? Is China in a better position to recover? Can China recover if the American market is so depressed? And if China can recover in a way with a somewhat decoupling from the United States, if that's possible, what does that do to the geopolitics? Well, China can recover for two reasons. Number one, most debts ultimately are owned to the public, to the government. The government runs the banks. They're not uh, pri uh, private banks except to decide uh, what what to do. The, the banks are owned by the government. So the government, when a corporation in China is unable to pay the debt, the government doesn't say, okay, uh, we're going to have to close you down and uh, sell you to the cheapest bidder and, you know, let some American buy you out at a, a, a distressed price. The government will simply uh, say to the company, okay, we understand you can't pay, but we're not going to write down uh, we're not going to insist that uh, uh, we're not going to close you down and uh, force you to sell to the cheapest bidder and let some American or uh, other foreign buyer buy you out uh, uh, cheaply. We're going to write down the debt that we've given you so that we want to keep you in business and we want to keep uh, your em employees in business. So uh, there's not the, uh, the debt problem in China uh, because the debts are forgiven when they can't pay. That's uh, normally what... Uh, 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 socialist governments do. Secondly, uh, there was already, uh, for the last five years, I've had discussions in China about how to uh, re reorient their economy for the Chinese people. Uh, the Chinese people, uh, although they now have a housing, it's not the best housing in the world, uh, and the idea is, oh, they say, why should we use all of this factory capacity to export, to support the U.S., uh, to export to the U.S. and earn dollars. What do we need the dollars for? We're just recycling the dollars into loans to the uh, U.S. Treasury to hold it in bonds. Uh, instead of getting foreign exchange uh, and uh, just uh, acting as a workshop for the United States, why don't we act as a workshop for the Chinese people? We don't need export income anymore. We've got the Belt and Road Initiative. We, we're developing markets uh, throughout the Near East, uh, Russia, uh, Europe, and China. We don't need the U.S., but most of all, we're, we have enough savings in our foreign exchange reserves uh, and gold that we can begin to pay our workers more and uh, uh, create a thriving domestic market. Well, the, the, one of the problems they had is what the Chinese do when they have, uh, earn uh, more money. The first thing they want to do is to buy a car. Uh, they're buying a lot of Mercedes now, and there are already too many cars in China. So the problem China has is how can we make our factories work and produce more uh, goods and services for China uh, and w that aren't cars and won't add to pollution and won't uh, uh, distort matters, uh, won't distort uh, the air, uh, 
that is uh, what their current uh, plan is. They're decoupling from the U.S. And uh, they've made a decision with Russia, Iran, uh, other countries uh, to essentially decouple their economy uh, from the U.S. And uh, uh, essentially try to uh, write down uh, military spending and unnecessary foreign spending as much as possible. So if that happens and it begins to work for China, one would think it fuels those forces within the United States that want to get more aggressive with China, even militarily. Steve Bannon has openly advocated a military confrontation in the South China Sea. Uh, when I, I've mentioned this several times on air on the analysis, but when the um, Trump administration defense secretary was explaining to Congress why they needed such a record high military budget, he justified it with three words, China, China, China. Um, they're already fairly uh, poised in an aggressive fashion, but if the American economy is really down the toilet and the Chinese begins to recover, it seems to me that that situation gets even more dangerous. China doesn't seem that worried about it uh, because it, what can happen? Uh, uh, the American uh, uh, naval presence is largely uh, large uh, aircraft carriers uh, and ships that are very uh, open and are really not uh, a good uh, weapon to have in, in the modern world. Uh, they're very exposed. Uh, all the Americans really can do is threat. And uh, you remember when Mao called him a paper t uh, tiger. Well, I think China still thinks that uh, the U.S. Army uh, is a paper tiger. And it can make threats, but it can't really follow through. And if there were any thought of it following through, the, uh, China would uh, make overtures to its uh, neighboring countries and uh, uh, pretty much uh, uh, be able to share the China Sea and its oil rights uh, with them and very quickly uh, create almost the equivalent of uh, Chinese Monroe Doctrine uh, regarding the United States. So the, the U.S. knows that it's on the way out there. There's very little uh, that it can do militarily. Uh, and all that you, the U.S. can't ever invade a country. I mean, there are no troops. Uh, nobody's going to invade China. You can't defeat a country unless you invade it. All you can do is drop bombs uh, and try to destroy it. But uh, America is very exposed uh, in the East, and so is uh, uh, Japan uh, that hosts American troops in Okinawa, uh, there, there are just too many uh, exposures that the, uh, the Americans have that, uh, uh, that China doesn't uh, have so much. So you think a lot of this rhetoric about China, China, China is just to spend a lot of money on arms? It, it's not scaring the Chinese. And it's uh, all meant to just scare the Chinese. And uh, they're like the Russians. They're going to say, well, what are you really going to do? And there's no scenario. I understand that the War College here uh, has tried to work out all sorts of scenarios. There's no scenario in which the U.S. comes out on top. Without leading to nuclear war, which leads to nobody coming out on top. Right. Uh, I mean, presumably there could be nuclear war, but nobody, that, that wouldn't benefit anyone. So, uh, and China, I mean, I, I suggested to China, well, now that Trump has raised uh, tariffs, 25% on Chinese uh, imports, why don't you impose a countervailing 25% uh, export tariff? Tell Trump that you're, you're, you want to help him and uh, you want to help uh, raise uh, Chinese prices and make America more competitive. So you're increasing your export tax, inc vastly increasing your uh, 
the prices that Chinese goods will cost to Americans, America is going to be left in as a high cost economy. And there's no way that the United States here can replicate Chinese industry without spending a generation on rebuilding, uh, a generation of rebuilding without higher living standards, uh, without uh, essentially uh, any kind of political acquiescence uh, by the people. So the Americas disinvested uh, physically in its factories and, uh, uh, and industry, uh, and also financially by the stock buybacks that have left companies uh, without the cash. Uh, so American industry is all uh, debt-ridden and pyramided, and uh, China's isn't because the government uh, can always write down the debt and keep its uh, industry going. So you essentially have a conflict between a productive financial system in China, uh, very much like the Germans before World War I, uh, and an unproductive predatory financial system in the United States that's added to cost and uh, overhead and enormous wealth for 1% of the population by impoverishing the 99% and preventing its living standards from rising and by uh, forcing uh, labor to survive only by going deeper and deeper into debt, leading ultimately to a grand default. Hmm. All right. Thanks very much for joining us, Michael. It's good to be here. And thank you for joining us on the analysis.news podcast.